Welcome back to the B2B Founder Podcast. I'm your host, Brett Trainer. On this podcast, we focus on helping B2B founders take their companies from startup to scale up, or as we like to say, from zero to 10 million. And each week, I'll chat with guests that are thought leaders or founders that will provide actionable tips and strategies to help you scale your own business. This week is no different. I speak with Marty Sanchez. He's the founder and CEO of Influence Podium. His mission is to help B2B CEOs and founders create content at scale and grow their personal brand to drive inbound opportunities. He's also coined the phrase, the inbound CEO, or in our case, the inbound founder, which I absolutely love. I think it's going to be critical to growth. We dig into this and why personal branding is so important to growing your startup. I mean, I think this is a topic in a growth area that is emerging rapidly. A lot of the founders I've talked to, and if you've listened to the past episodes, know that the growth trajectory of a lot of these companies is tied back to content and mission and the why of these companies. So it's becoming increasingly important for the CEO or the founder to be out in front of this, sharing what that mission or the purpose of the company is. And not just from an outside customer perspective, but also from an internal standpoint, employees and getting people, you know, the right folks hired, et cetera. So this is a really interesting interview. I think you'll get a lot of value from it. So please tune in and let's hear what Marty has to say. Thanks. Hey, good morning, Marty. Welcome to the podcast. Brad, thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to this one as a content guy myself. I know there's a lot of areas that I can improve on what I'm doing, and, and you're the guy to bring on for this. But before we kind of dig into the topic, why don't you kind of share with the audience a little bit about your background and, and what you're working on today? Yeah, absolutely. I was born in the States, but I was raised in Barcelona, in Europe. When I was 17, I decided to come back to the States and play college basketball in a small school in North Carolina. When I was there, I come from single mom. I was playing basketball a lot of hours. I was starting a lot of hours, so I couldn't get a job. Also, NCAA rules don't allow us to get a job after basketball. So I started ghostwriting my classmates' papers for them. So I would write my own paper for economics, and then I would write five more for five of my classmates, which was super illegal. But they would pay me $10 a page, which for me back then was a lot of money. Sure. I would give them, um, if I get you less than a B, it's a money back guarantee. It was like a small business for me. I would make a few hundred dollars a month, which was enough for taking a girl on a date or going to McDonald's or like the small things that I needed at that time. Yeah. Eventually, I stopped doing that when I graduated. got a job in finance and I hated it. After 30 days, I quit, went back to Spain and I was like, okay, now what do I do? Spain has a 25% unemployment. I think it's 40% in people my age. So I was like, let me go back to the one thing I know how to do, which was write. Uh, so I started uh, writing on Quora, which is a Q&A platform for six months. I uh, got a couple million views in, the, in that time period. And a few people started reaching out to me if I could ghostwrite for them. They happened to be B2B CEOs. They had like columns on Forbes or Inc. Magazine. And it was like what, exactly what I was doing back in college for my classmates, but now for business people. That's where I learned about content, personal branding, and I started being a ghostwriter, freelance ghostwriter, which eventually we got too many clients, and we started Influence Podium. Influence Podium is now my, the company that I run. We're about five people full-time. We help B2B CEOs create content at scale. We've now incorporated podcast hosting. We also incorporated 
a bit of public relations where we help you get placed in different podcasts. So we have now scaled, but we still follow that principle of B2B CEOs need to grow their personal brand, uh, need to create content, need to do that at scale, but they're busy and they don't have time to do it or they don't want to do it. Uh, so we're the team that outsources your personal brand for you as a B2B CEO. That's what we've been. It's been a hell of a journey, but it's, it's still, we have a long way to go. That's what, awesome. I love these stories where you're solving a problem and, and you know, playing to a strength and say, hey, there's a need out here. I can, I can do this. And I think too often we overthink some of the, the challenges and not do something about it. And some of the simpler businesses can be really successful because you're solving a very real problem. Yeah, we, we don't change the world. I mean, we, we love to spread messages worth sharing. That's our mission, right? We work with these people who have a message to share, that they're experts on their field. And we want to scale that message for you. For us, as a freelance ghostwriter, when I started, one of our clients was, I'm managing 30 people. He told me, I'm managing 30 people in my Inc. 5000 company. And I'm managing six of you, a freelance writer, a freelance video editor. Like, I cannot manage all of you guys. And I told him, if I put together a team that's a one-stop shop for you, where you can only manage a a personal brand manager, and you only talk to that person, and that person talks to everybody else, does that solve a problem for you? Will you hire us? And he told me, if you put that together, I'll hire you right away. And that was our first client. It took me three weeks to find a team. And then we put that. And he was our test initial client. We're still working with him, I think, three or four years later. That's awesome. uh, but that was the beginning of like, oh, there's a problem here. Let's solve this in the most simplest way possible without yeah. making it. And that could be a, a title of the future for any small businesses. And we'll get into a personal brand manager for the, the CEO. But before we get into kind of the why, because I think it's, it's really important and I like people to hear it from other than, you know, just me, <laughs> but was that, that small school in North Carolina wasn't Duke by chance, was it? No, it wasn't. I was a Duke fan, but it, I, I wish it would have been. It, it was a smaller school. It was a division two school and we actually played North Carolina one time. Uh, so it was, it was a good time. It was good four That's years. Awesome. It was a very good learning experience for sure. Yeah, and I guess if you were at Duke, we probably wouldn't be having this conversation today. So it was a perfect path, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I remember I went to go to Duke Law School. I, okay. I entered for a law firm and eventually I realized that, that was not for me. So my life, especially at that age, was more about, I want to do this, let's try it. Okay, this is not me. Law school, investment firm, finances, all that stuff. I realized it was just not a good fit. I liked, I, I was a writer, I was a creator. And eventually I could, I found my way out of there uh, by writing. Gotcha. But yeah, it would have been a very different story. <laughs> and just one more question. So writing, was it something that just was very natural for you? Or is that something you had studied and or just or a combination of the two? It, it was a combination. It, it comes from my mom. Uh, so that was my mom's and I bonding experience. She would, so when we were in Spain, I love Harry Potter books and she would buy the English version and it would take six months to be translated. So what she would do is she would read the book in English and translate it to Spanish. Uh, and then we would, like, she would read it to me out loud by translating it. So I was like, she can do a lot of things that I can't because she knows English. So I started to try to pick up English right away. And it was just something that I, I just loved to do since I was a kid. I would write awesome. small books as a seven-year-old in, in Catalan, which is a language in Spain. I kept writing and writing as a child just because it was like what me and my mom did together, yeah. uh, reading and writing. And then when I came to the stage, I, for some reason, I was like, I'm better than this. I'm very competitive. And I was like, I'm better than those guys who are American. And I can do it way better than them. And I can let, let me fix that for them and, yeah. and get some money back. So it was, it was surprising to see how well it translated. And then it just, it's just something that 
it's the one thing I do good. I'm not very good at the, most of the stuff, but that's one thing I'm good at. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. And, it, uh, and again, I love it. It's a life skill that I think it's getting lost and slowly yeah. bringing back. So, all right. So back to the brand, personal brand manager for CEO founders. I talk about all the time that, hey, man, that you can't. it's almost impossible. The companies that are led by the founders that have a voice, have a mission, a passion, those are the ones that are growing fastest right now. And so I'd love to get your perspective on one, obviously you worked to that first client, but you know, why is the personal brand? Why is the content so important for founders of growing businesses? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. I think I, I like to simplify concepts as much as possible. For me, uh, we've heard, like we use the word personal branding. We use the word thought leadership. Like those are all cool, fascinating ways to say reputation. Like, what's your reputation? What do people think when they hear your name? And reputation is not something that we just invented. Reputation comes from years and years back. It's always been a thing in business. So you can either be proactive towards your reputation and create content and grow your brand, or you can not do that and let your reputation be whatever it is, which is non-existent. Right. Uh, so I think of it as a competitive advantage that uh, founders and CEOs can do, especially in B2B, when they're being proactive towards what their name means. And it's not an ego move. I, I hear that a lot. It's just an ego investment. It's not. It's meant to drive business for your company. And it's yeah. meant to drive actual ROI. If it's not driving long-term ROI, you're doing it wrong or you shouldn't be doing it. Um, so for me, it's about what people think when they think your name. Uh, if they Google you, will they find great articles, great videos, podcasts that shows that you're the expert in your field and that you know what you're doing? Or will they find nothing? And whose person do they want to work with? So for me, it's about driving actual ROI from your reputation. Nothing else, nothing more. Thought leadership, personal branding, they all sound great. At the end of the day, it's when I think about you, Brett, or when somebody thinks about me, will they see that I know what I'm talking? And will they want to do business with me because I have created that trust? Or will they never think of me? Right. And uh, you have to decide which, one, which side you want to be. And it's, it's all about creating the value, right? It's, this isn't about self-promotion and others. It's, it's trying to help where possible. Is that a simple way of saying the ideal way to approach this? Yeah, it's not about you. It's not about me either. It's about our audience, right? It's about how much value can we, how much trust can we create for them? Can we solve a problem for them uh, through our content? And then when they are convinced, because especially in B2B, you don't buy B2B services or B2B products like you would buy a t-shirt or a pair of jeans. That can be an impulsive buy. I can see a Facebook ad and be like, here, 30 bucks for the t-shirt, let's go. Mm -hmm. But if I'm talking about a B2B service that's two grand, five grand, 10 grand, 100 grand a month, that decision-making buying process is very different. Uh, and it's based on trust. And the way we add trust is by sharing what we know and our expertise. But again, it's not about what, how cool we are. It's about, I know there's people with this problem. Let me help them solve it. And if they wanted me to do it for them, then we can talk about how we can work together. But I always say you should be able to fix their problems just by your content. Then the next step is, let me give you money to do it for me because I don't want to do it. Right. But you should provide that education for them to do it themselves if they could. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. And it took me a long time to learn that, hey, just give it away for free, right? I mean, here's the framework that I use. Here's the way I approach it. And if you want to go do it yourself, 
kudos to you and good luck. I, I, I told you this before we hit record, I'm a big believer in outsourcing and playing to strengths and say, hey, here's what I know, but here's the folks that can help me do this. So, I mean, that was a big shift for me three or four years ago. So I think the sooner people can learn and adjust and build that into their business, it's going to be so much easier for them. Yeah, and it's hard, right? Because we keep the secrets or we want to keep the secrets so close to our heart because it makes us different from everybody else. And it's like what we think makes us special. Uh, but I think we tend to overglorify our secrets. People can catch up pretty quickly, even if we don't do that. So I, I want them to get the secrets from me versus from somebody else. Because uh, I don't think I'm that special. There's other companies that could potentially be doing the same stuff that we are. I'm not sure. But I, if somebody wants to talk about B2B and personal brand, I want them to think, Marty is the guy that gives me all the information. And then when, they're top, when I'm top of mind and they want to take that step forward to work together, that's who they'll think of and they'll go to. So that's my strategy. Just give everything you can. We literally give out like the detailed breakdown of our services. We give out our templates. We give out everything because we want them to have every resource uh, available. And because we know it's very hard to do, right? Like you can have all the information and then implementing it, this is what it's hard. So when you try to implement it and you fail, then you'll be like, okay, let's go to Marty and his team for, for do it for us. The secret's not that valuable. The execution's what matters. 100%, I was going to say, throwing the execution is all about it. The ideas are a dime a dozen. Everybody yeah. has ideas, but how do you execute on them? So... No, so good. So let's let's kind of take one step back, and I'd love to get your opinion on. There's kind of the two paths. So we talk the audiences, you know, from startup to scale up. In the early days of the startup, you're really looking at founder led or co-founder led. And I've been encouraging these these folks to think about content day one. It may change, it may not, but the sooner you start getting that out there, right, the easier. Again, maybe from a validation standpoint, that if I have a conversation with you. We talk, I haven't been to your website yet. I mean, first thing I'm going to do after we're done or while we're talking is go to your website and, and check it out. So, so maybe some thoughts on how, you know, early stage founders should think about content. And then I get, I'll get some opinions from you. And as they start to grow and the company starts to grow. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think I, I think of it as content and personal branding as something that you can scale up as your company scales up. So you don't have to do everything from the very beginning. Because if we talk about everything that we can do, right? Like we can go full on on YouTube. We can do a podcast. We can do Twitter. We can do LinkedIn. We can do Instagram. We can do blogs. We can do newsletters. There's so many options that I think it leads to decision paralysis. We need to pick up one thing, especially at the beginning, and then go heavy on that. And once the company scales and maybe you get more resources, then you can start hiring more people and start bringing other agencies and stuff like that so that we really create a very cohesive brand uh, but at the very beginning, I always recommend start with one thing that fits in naturally with your skills. So if you're a great writer, maybe you're doing a newsletter or you're going to Twitter, but you're picking one or two, one thing. If you're great on video, maybe you're doing YouTube or you're doing a podcast. Uh, so whatever your skills complement the medium and the channel, that's where you start, where you find that sweet spot for you. Uh, for me, when I started, I was a writer. So I started mostly on Quora, which is a Q&A platform. From there, I moved to LinkedIn. And from LinkedIn, eventually I moved to LinkedIn and Twitter as my company scaled and I had more resources. And then I left Core away because it didn't make sense for me anymore. After that, that was my sweet spot, LinkedIn, Twitter, all writing. Okay. Eventually, as I started getting more comfortable, I started including a podcast and video content and stuff like that. But I didn't want to spread myself too thin. So my advice looking back is one or two platforms 
go heavy on that. Whether you're doing it yourself, or you're working with an agency like us, don't, they're going to try to sell you in more stuff. I mean, we won't, but most agencies will try to sell you on everything. You don't need that. Even not from an economic resource, resource availability, from a time availability. Like you just can't handle everything from the very beginning. So eventually you'll be able to scale and do more stuff. But I, I always recommend start where you know best and what will give you the highest chance to succeed. And from there, scale up. That makes sense. So if I'm thinking about it, I'm just starting a company, I've got a few customers, I'm selling into my network is maybe a couple of big content pieces, like why I started the company or the problem that you're solving. A couple of bigger ones is a good foundational piece. Is that a good way to start? Yeah. One thing I recommend is start with one or two long form pieces just to like trust, create that trust value long-term. It, it, they can be writing, they can be a podcast interview or whatever you want to do it. Um, but then think about how you consume content and how people consume content. Um, I don't know when the last time it was that I went to a blog and read for hours, right. uh, but I'm on Twitter all day. And most founders and CEOs are on Twitter, on LinkedIn. They're on those social media platforms, which are the way I think of it is like a one minute date. Like you're going on a date and it takes one minute, 60 seconds. Like you, reading a tweet takes 15 seconds. Reading a LinkedIn post takes 60 seconds. You're not requiring too much involvement and commitment from that consumer. Eventually, after they've seen you in many small dates, they might want to take you on a bigger date. And then that's when you can have a blog post or a podcast episode or whatever that looks like. And then eventually, maybe they want to marry you and then they schedule a call with you. But the way we consume information is a much short-term content pieces. So yeah. I always recommend to at least focus on one social media platform because it's going to be the best way to distribute your content and to reach the audience as soon as possible. So Twitter, LinkedIn, especially for B2B, is where you should be at from the very beginning. Ideally both, but at least one of them. There's also a lot of ways that you can repurpose content from one to the other. So that's maybe another thing. But Twitter, LinkedIn is the way that people consume the information as much as possible. And you want to give yourself the best chance. Yeah. So I would always recommend start there and then create longer form pieces of content a bit later. Got it. And I know one of the things I struggle with quite a bit. So with the podcast, I've got a ton of content, but I don't do a very good job of repurposing it. Right. I know, I mean, we just hit 100 episodes a couple of weeks ago and, you know, I'm sitting on a goldmine of talking with experts yeah. like you that I, you know, I'd send some videos out on LinkedIn, but there's a wealth of other information. And so, you know, part of me, I get bogged down in people tell me done is better than perfect, right? I start to overthink it in this right. 60 seconds, take me days, I'm better now, but <laughs> think <laughs> about what you're right. So I think that's, that's kind of the challenge is, hey, I've got this, I've got ideas, but is it good enough to post? And, you know, right. I love your perspective on just get it out there or balance of it. Yeah, I think for us, speed is very important. Uh, speed of execution. So when you say done, it's better than perfect. I know it's a cliche, but it's true. Like you, you, We just need to put out that content. Because what we want to do is we want them to see us very, very often. Because the, we need them to see our name and to relate our name to good quality content as many times as possible. So that whenever they have the need of like, hey, I want to do personal branding. I'm a B2B founder or a B2B CEO. Who do I talk to? My name has to pop up in their head. Like that's the conversations we have internally with our team. We don't do any other marketing than my personal brand. Uh, so what we talk internally is like, if somebody thinks about B2B personal branding, do they say Marty? If they don't say Marty, we're not doing our job right. right. To get there, we need them to see us very, very often. 
because people will forget about us. So that's why we try to put out a lot of content and very quickly. Um, our secret sauce is content repurposing. So the way we do that is having long form pieces of content, like a podcast guest, like where I'm right now that I'm a guest or you as a host, and then turning that into 10, 15, 20 pieces of content that we can put out on LinkedIn, on Twitter, on YouTube, everywhere. So like my team right now, once this podcast, like, full, like I said, full transparency, when this podcast is published, we will download the video. We have a brand manager who will send it to a video editor. The video editor will chop up the best 15 minute, the best 15 clips that are about one minute. And now we have content for a month. And then we have a writer who will go into it and will basically transcript and ghostwrite what I'm saying into a post. And now we have 10 more pieces of content that are going to go LinkedIn, Twitter. And now we have content for two months from 60 minutes of my time. Uh, so that's as a podcast guest, as a podcast host, it's about giving that share with your audience. So when we run our podcast, we clip five, six, seven, eight clips for them. And then we post them. Are they the best clips? Hopefully. Right. Maybe <laughs> one of them is not as good as it could have been, but at least they saw our name and they saw a good post. Was it perfect? I don't know. But yeah. it was, they saw our name. And I think that's important. That, that speed of execution is key, I, I believe. No, that's a good point. And the other thing that I've gotten much better about is not worrying about the overall in, engagement numbers and the right. metrics, because what I'm finding is folks that I didn't even know knew I had a podcast or listened to it said, oh, yeah, by the way, I heard that episode. Like, Perfect. So I know that there's awareness that's being created that's not showing up in the statistics. So is that something you'd advise folks don't get bogged down with the lights and all that? We advise that it goes against human nature because we all care about how many likes and how many retweets and all that stuff. So I understand that, but we do advise that the numbers that they should be looking at is inbound revenue. So that's the North Star, right? Like the North Star that we're all fighting towards is inbound revenue generated. Everything else, it's an ego metric. We impressions views, engagement rate, all that is cool, but it doesn't, I cannot pay my team with likes. Like sure. I cannot go to my brand manager and Prea and be like, Hey, Andrea, so we didn't make any money this month. We got 200 likes. So like, you're fine, right? Like that's just not going to go. Right. Uh, so the, what matters for us is inbound revenue generated. Now this is that going to happen right away? Potentially not. But if you do it long-term and consistently, and you believe that your reputation is important, it will happen. Everything else, we, we don't, I don't even look at them. I, I cannot tell you how many likes my LinkedIn post got or how many followers I have on Twitter or anything like that. What matters to me is when a prospect comes to a call and they say, yeah, I read your LinkedIn post and I thought that made sense for my business. I want to ask you how we potentially do that together because then it's a very easy sell. Uh, right, they you've all the pre-sale, they're establishing credibility, the visibility, the value up front, and it's just absolutely. It's a big for us to, to work together. I'm just kind of curious, I've, I've heard, and you can validate that, the, the people that are actually liking engaging aren't necessarily the folks that are actually going to buy from you anyway, right? The, the buyers tend to lurk more just in the background and consume versus engage. Does that sound right? It, it happened, I'd say, it sounds about right, 75 okay. to 80% of our inbound leads don't engage. Uh, some, some of them have engaged for months and then they reach out. But we've seen 
that that direct engagement, right, where they're just viewing and consuming and reading, but maybe they're not liking or commenting, it's important. And that's where most of the leads will come from. And, and back to what you were saying about this, it makes it easy sell. To be completely fair, it was one of the reasons why I believe in content so much, because I'm not the best salesperson. Like I came to America at 17. I still have an accent. I've lived in America maybe six, seven years. Um, I'm not super comfortable selling. Like it's something that never came super naturally to me. I'm a writer, not a, not a salesperson. Right. I want to make my sales as easy as possible. And I, I, the way I did that was I'm going to educate you so much and I'm going to give you so much value that it's you who wants to work with me. And then it's just a matter of like, do we work together? Well, financially, does it make sense for both of us? But I don't want to have to convince you. I want to convince you through my content. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why I think it makes it so easy because it reduces the length of sales cycle and increases your win rate by doing things at scale. Like I can put a piece of content and convince 30 people versus me having to do 30 sales calls with them to convince them. Uh, so I think that's a key element of like, if you want to, if your sales cycle is very long and you want to shorten it, if your win rate is slow and you want to increase it, you have to educate them before the sales call. In the sales call is too late. In the sales call, otherwise it's manipulation and tactics. You want to do it before. Um, so that they call, come to the call convinced. Yeah, I mean, it's such a good point. And what I found it just from some of my interviews with founders, right, of, of high growth companies, and this biggest change they've said they've made is it's the content is the new sales process. And right. where they used to be able to rely on superstar sales reps to, to drive revenue, especially new revenue. Now it's, hey, they're more facilitating the process of what the content is driving. And it's it's not a one-off. I'm not handpicking these founders. This is just the repeating theme I'm hearing over and over is it's changed, right? And so if you want to, I think you maybe you mentioned it's super expensive to go sales first approach, right? Yeah, we're seeing the same thing, right? Because the old playbook of let's put out an ebook or a white paper that nobody wants to read, to be honest, and spam, put it on Facebook ads so that everybody sees it. A few will download it because they will. And then you have an army of salesperson that their job is to follow up on someone that downloaded an ebook, like they're a qualified lead already. Like, no, they just downloaded an ebook. They're not ready to talk to you. And if you call, call them and call, email them for days, then you're burning your reputation as a company. So that playbook requires a lot of salespeople and it brings out a lot of like not qualified leads that we consider qualified. So the win rate is very short. The sale length of sales cycle is super long and, and it gets super expensive. Yeah. Um, and I think that cost of having 30 SDRs for most companies is not worth it. What yeah. they should be putting that is into creating great quality content and having three SDRs for a less number of leads, which I can get is stressful and scary when you go from a thousand leads to 20 leads. But if you close 50% of 20 leads, you're going to get a much better inbound revenue number than if you were doing it the other way. So our approach and what I believe a lot of B2B companies should be doing is focusing on content that scales and educates and then just having a few salespeople that close and that can turn very qualified leads into clients versus just doing that spray and pray approach of you downloading the white paper, we're going to spam you for two years. Yeah, it just doesn't yeah, make right. sense anymore. Yeah, I think just following up that I, I kind of, I, there is no such thing as a marketing qualified lead. There's just not. It's either that prospect says, hey, yeah, I want to talk to somebody I'm interested or 
or it's not intent, right? It will be more impactful and it's still a hard concept, but I see this is, this is why I'm so excited to have folks like you on and in the startup community and even mid-market companies that aren't as, I'd say, paralyzed as some of these large enterprise, for them to try to shift this shift and, and take this approach is going to be really hard. I mean, I lived in that world and I know <laughs> you can't even agree amongst each other, let alone try to, to, to the customer base. Yeah, it, it's hard to convince organizations that don't believe in it already. As an agency owner, I always think of, let's first work with people who already believe in us, yes. who are problem aware and solution aware, because those are much low hanging fruit. It's very hard to convince people, right? If they're not problem aware and I have to convince them, hey, you're doing it wrong, that takes so much time. And then I have to convince them, and here's how we can do it, then it's really hard. Right. What, what I want to do is convince people who are problem aware. They already know that there's a better way. And now I just want to convince them, hey, this is how we can potentially do it together. Yeah. So that solution aware spot is where I, for us, it's easier. As a marketer, I love to convince more people and, and raise our old chips. Right. So to, to make money for my company, we have to focus on the ones that are already believers. As, as an individual, I would love for more people to make that change. And I think there's a few companies that are doing it right and, and they're seeing how much they're growing and those founders are realizing that there might be a better way, right? Times change. I'm not saying this is what's going to work forever, but sure. educating your prospects is probably never a bad thing. No, I think I think you just outlined them. You know, modern is kind of a loose term, but a more relevant sales process for you know the, the digital world we're in and b2b is now completely in it whether we liked it or not and so i think just creating that awareness i think about sdrs to make an outbound calls right if you get 10 15 they're making 115 dials you know i heard somebody the other day celebrate on linkedin hey 115 dials i got two meetings set i'm like that's not good <laughs> because now there's probably some folks that do set the right message and create some awareness around the brand of what they're talking about but most of them, they're only compensated on setting demos or meetings. Right. We're not looking at the long game of this and say, hey, if they're ready to buy from me in three months or six months, they're not going to come back to me because I didn't take the time to do it. And it's like, say, yeah. if you're doing it verbally at one person at a time, it's going right. to be a long road. So Yeah. And what I think people overlook is, okay, you got two meetings. Let's see. First of all, let's see how good these meetings go. Because right. you just call, call them. And they're probably not super convinced yet. Maybe you get one lucky call called it. They were looking for a solution at the right time. But in general, those are low qualified meetings. And then the 148 people that you called and didn't book a meeting with, what do they think about your company now? And do they think, I cannot believe XYZ company just call me when I'm having dinner with my wife? Right. How they like, get my mobile number, right? <laughs> yeah. How they get my mobile number. What about privacy things? Like, are you burning your reputation of your company by for in exchange of two meetings that are not even qualified? Like, I don't know if it's worth it. Um, yeah. And then what happens when you exhaust that market and then you have to go back to call, call people who you've already created a bad impression with? Um, and some markets, maybe there's a million people in your market and then you're fine with burning it. But for a lot of B2B companies, it's not that. No. It, there's not that many. So I think people have to be more careful about their reputation, which leads me to some of our best clients. And you would imagine that personal branding is for younger people, late 20s, early 30s. Some of our best clients are people on the older side because they understand reputation better than anybody. 
They just know that their reputation has gone digital and has gone to the internet. And now their reputation lives there. But they have known about reputation forever. Right. And they're much more mindful of that. And that's something that I thought was very interesting in terms of like what our clients, uh, what our best clients are. Uh, obviously, we have clients on the younger side. Right. Uh, but a lot of that is more driven for ego versus for uh, actual reputation mind- mindful. So that, that's something very interesting that we've seen. Clients on the older side get it. They just do. And, and they just know it's gone from their city to the internet. And they are, they're much more careful, careful with that. Yeah, that's such a good point. Yeah, and they built years to build that reputation, right? Exactly. And, you know, if you're 20-something, much more difficult to establish that because you just haven't been around long enough to have the experience to do it. So I do want, I know we're getting close on time, but I have one more question to go kind of on the founder, personal brand, company brand, and then I'll get to my one last question I ask everybody. But, you know, like the example, like Richard Branson, right? I forget, he's got like 10x or 100x personal followers versus what Virgin has. And so I'm just curious that, because I think the, the old school would say, oh, it's got to be all about the brand, 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 and not the, the owner, because what happens if the owner is not in the day-to-day? And I get the, the power of it, but I can't articulate why, <laughs> right? That's so important. So I'd love if you could just kind of break down a little bit of like what, even with the strategy of what you're doing with your company, it's leading through you. And like I said, I, the interviews I've had, those companies are doing it the same way. So just kind of curious, um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, for us, there's a few reasons. Uh, number one, and I think the principle that we all come back to is people trust people and people want to work with people. I don't care about a faceless logo. Like your logo on the website means nothing to me. Right. But the founder that has a story behind it, that's something that I can actually care and relate to and I want to support and do business with. So t- humanizing B2B, I think is very important. That's one of the reasons why we started this company creating inbound CEOs, CEOs who are able to drive inbound through their brand because they're more human than the companies that they're competing with. At the end of the day, people, especially in B2B, where it's very high touch, very high relationship, that's what makes people different, right? That's what, in the second point, that's the best way to compete and differentiate and create a new category versus other agencies. There's a lot of content marketing agencies. I'm sure there's some personal branding agencies but there's nobody that has the same story as I do. And my story makes it a differentiator. And then when I talk about coming from Spain to America, or when I come from, when I talk about writing papers for my classmates, that means something to people because they can relate to it. Um, right. They cannot, they don't give a fuck about influence podium. They no, care 100%. about who's the person behind. So I think for companies like Coca-Cola and Apple, it's different. But for most small, medium businesses, especially in B2B, your founder, your CEO is a differentiator and you have to use them. I'm not saying don't market your company brand. Do that. It's a different marketing channel. Uh, but your, if your founder and CEO is not speaking and talking to the, your audience, you're missing out on a very important goldmine of value, trust, and attention, which is what business is driven through. Yeah. And I think I've heard you talk about this too, because kind of the secondary benefit, which I'd almost argue is a co-benefit is the employee engagement and the the employee buy-in. Because even like a company like Coca-Cola or McDonald's, where you've got more of an outgoing CEO that's out in front, that's doing the interviews, because then the employee base can rally behind and say, hey, we do have a mission and a purpose, right? So, I mean, we probably almost have an entire episode on that. 
that aspect of it, but it's it's real, right? Absolutely. Last week, we got an email from a great candidate for us that said, hey, I read your LinkedIn post. I love what you're doing in the podcasting personal branding space. I love to join you guys if there's ever a need. We're interviewing her tomorrow. Oh, interesting. Okay. Because it's a great way to attract clients, but it's a great way to mean something to people. And when you mean something to people, then good employees come to your company because they want to join you on that mission because you've talked about it. Otherwise, how would they know what we want to do? If, if I don't talk about how we want to humanize B2B content and how we want to spread messages worth sharing and how we want to create what we call inbound CEOs, people won't know about it. And, and then when people see that and they align towards that, then they want to bring us uh, and come join us. Whether as a client, there's an employee, uh, we've had potential investors reach out. Uh, we don't take investors, we completely self-funded, but we've had people want to be involved. And I think it's important when you're sharing your message, your mission, and you're sharing what you want to achieve and the future you want to change, people want to join you along the way. Yeah. And, and that is a great way to solve that problem of attracting great talent who already believe in the mission. We're seeing that more and more. And this is one of the additional but super important benefits that having an inbound CEO as the leader of the company uh, drives towards it. Yeah, and I love that term, and I meant to bring that up earlier, and that may be a good way to end this session. I may have to have you back for part two, because we can. I think we can do a, a second <laughs> level. Inbound CEO, inbound founder. I mean, it's it's the quickest way to growth these days. You're going to be fighting a lot more upstream and credibility and awareness by by not doing it. Even if you're not comfortable, figure it out. That's why Marty and his team is here to to help you. I think that's, that's huge. So I think like I told you one last question, right? <laughs> and I Absolutely. asked everybody this, I said, this is one thing that I've asked every person from you know, t- day one is what is one thing you Marty would, would highly recommend? I wasn't sure if I should go ahead and, and say that, but I figured why not? For me, something I would recommend to everybody, especially founders and CEOs is therapy. Uh, so therapy has been really important for me. I started going to therapy when I was 20 years old. I paused for a bit. Now I'm going back again. Running a business is hard. It's complicated. But even if you're not running a business and and you're an employee, I think it can be really helpful. We take care or we think we want to take care of our bodies and what we eat and we watch our weight and all that stuff. Uh, But mentally and emotionally, I think it's even more important. So one of the passions of mine is trying to make therapy a bit more, less stigmatized. I know it has a negative connotation. So I want to be able to speak about it in public and I think it's something that means a lot to me and has helped me a lot. And I think it can help other people. Yeah, I think that's really, really, really good advice. And it's underappreciated. I mean, I think you're right. There was a stigma. And maybe I'm just running with a different crowd now and talking to different people. But I think there's a lot of people that now are embracing it and accepting it. Why not, man? It's it's, it's only going to help. You're right. Because we, the old profile of the founder entrepreneurs work 24 hours a day or 19 hours a day i'm gonna sleep two hours eat like crap not work out but the true success right now is you're right you're eating better you're sleeping better you're getting help with with mind it it just it makes way too much sense and i don't know if it's pride or old school thinking but i know i love that advice i had a very important personal experience with me on that when i was 21 year old and before i moved back to spain i had a panic attack in in a gym and I was on the floor for 30 seconds. It felt like hours and I couldn't breathe. And I stood up, called my mom. Hey, I'm coming back to Spain and I need you to book me a therapy session with somebody. Uh, so that was something that 
since I was young, it, it was a big part of my life and I want to keep doing that. And I feel like if I talk about it a bit more, uh, maybe someone that's thinking about it, whether they should do it or they're thinking, will it make me weak? Or is that something for people who are crazy? Um, maybe they just need to see someone. Uh, so yeah. I, I wish uh, someone had said that to me. So hopefully that's something that means something to people as well. Yeah, thank you very much for sharing that. That That's so true. And better late than ever is I'm learning who that I was started a podcast at age 50 plus. But <laughs> man, it's time. It's open. It's a new world. And go see. There's there's people that are they're here to help you and support you. So, so I really appreciate you sharing that. My pleasure. My pleasure. So lastly, if there's folks that are interested in learning more about you, reaching out, following your content, which I'd highly recommend. What's the, the best place for them to find you? Yeah, I think best place to find me is uh, Marti, M-A-R-T-I at influencepodium.com. That's my email. Best place to follow along for content will probably be LinkedIn on Twitter. If you look up Marti Sanchez on Google, it should come up. I'll also send you the link spread if you want to put them yeah, in, we'll put them in the, the description. Sure. But if you Google it, it should come up. And the name of the podcast is? It's Podium Stories. Yeah, I, I recommend your podcast better, but... Uh, <laughs> We're on our way. We're on our way. Yeah, it's just getting it out there, right? And hit record and add value. So, well, Marty, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I know there's so much value. You know, I said, I've been looking forward to this. I've been preaching it. Now I've got ammunition behind me that said, hey, there's real proof data and why you need to be doing this. So thank you. No, Brad, thank you so much for having given me the opportunity to come by. And it, this was an amazing chat. So I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, have a great rest of your day and we'll, we'll catch up with you soon. Likewise, take care of it.